0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of Me and My Friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production. The podcast where we explore all things THE Amazing Spider-Man comic book series. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. And a disclaimer before we jump into this one, there's copaganda all through this thing. But you gotta know my stance was, is, and will forever be, abolish the police. That said... This week, we're covering the Amazing Spider-Man number 43, Rhino on the Rampage. Let's swing! Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. Other titles this month. Before we jump into this title, we have to give a shout out to Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, number 27, where the X-Men faced off against a villain named Mimic. Spidey made a short appearance in this one, stopping a couple of burglars, and turning down the X-Men's beast, who asked him to join the team. This kid's getting offers from the Avengers, this kid's getting offers from the X-Men, the only team he ever wanted to join was the Fantastic Four, and that was the team that told him no. But. Spidey considers the offer and decides that he will not be hitching his wagon to Marvel's most hated and feared superhero team because <laughs> he's hated and feared enough himself. So we push forward. The credits. The writer on this one is Stan the Manly, John Ringading Ramita, that's the senior, was the artist, and Artie stout-hearted Semek is on lettering. The cover. The cover of this one has the Amazing Spider-Man going one-on-one with the Rhino on the center of the page in the middle of the street. The Rhino's massive feet have cracked the pavement beneath him as he reaches out an open-palmed hand trying to swipe the most agile of heroes. Spidey's leapt out of the way of Rhino's ham-sized hand and has grabbed the Rhino by the horn with his left hand. Behind them, at least a hundred people look on in shock and horror. We've got Joe. We've got Tomas both on the scene holding the crowd back as one guy in a brown suit is the only person thinking sensibly. He's bolting from the scene, everybody else staring in fear and wonder. Let's get into it. Page 1 opens to the Amazing Spider banner and beneath it in a purple screen caption box we get the title of this issue, Rhino on the Rampage. Beneath this, we see the Rhino's living up to his name, literally rampaging as he punches through a large metal door into a room where a police officer is reaching for his gun, scowling, and a doctor in a white lab coat points at the Rhino, probably shouting for the cop to shoot him. But the Rhino's got one thing on his mind. In his thought balloon, we see the amazing Spider-Man is looming large. Right fist clenched, left hand open like he wants to put palm on the Rhino. And I'm thinking the villain wants revenge we turn the page and page two opens to action the doctor gets on the phone immediately shouting for all units to come because the tranquilizers they were using to sedate the brute has worn off we see the cop has red hair so we've got bow tie charlie on the scene and he's taking no chances he lets a shot from his revolver go that quick the bullet hits the rhino in the chest and bounces off as usual charlie screaming at the rhino is dazed but still as strong as ever before shouting at the doctor to take cover. But lucky for both of them, the rhino doesn't want to waste time here. He crashes through a <laughs> towards the outside world, screaming, Spider-Man, he's the one who beat me last time. If we meet again, I've got to crush him. And just then, on the other side of town. We're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown. Limestone building, you can't miss it. Where we find Ned Leeds' blue suit on, handsome as ever, his left arm draped around the incomparable Betty Brent, her bob flawless in a red dress, showing off the new rock on her left ring finger to Frederick Foswell, who is in his signature green fedora. Ned popped the question, and Betty said yes. The two are going to be married. Foswell, smiling, says it's about time. Betty says it's like a dream. Foswell thinks but doesn't say that he always thought it'd be Parker who would end up with Betty. J. Jonah Jameson tirades into the room, green suit on, cigar chomped in the corner of his mouth, both fists shaking with rage. What are you standing around here for? The rattle just escaped. I want the story. And where's Peter Parker when I need him? When Foswell points out J.J.'s got more photographers than just Parker, Jameson gives Pete credit, saying none of them are as good or as lazy as the bum, before ordering Foswell to get out in the streets for the story and ending by telling Ned and Betty to break it up because this is a newspaper. Not Lover's Lane. But speaking of Lover's Lane, let's look in on Peter Parker as he dreamingly toys with his food over the dinner table. Pete is gripping his butter knife and staring at Mary Jane Smitten as the two, along with May and Anna, sit around the Watson dinner table. Aunt May asks Pete to pass the butter. He says sure, but is so enthralled he can't move. And the feelings apparently mutual. Mary Jane tells Pete he's right out of Groovesville. In the next panel, between sips of her tea, she adds, I never thought a tiger who wore his hair so short could be so dreamy. And you got a bouncing bike too. Dad, you're the end. Pete, probably unable to understand a word of what she's saying, is thinking, This is the gal I didn't want to meet all these (laughs) monsters? Whoosh. Everyone gets up from the table, May and Anna happy as clams that the two are hitting it off. MJ asks Pete if he wants to watch television and tell her all about his life story during the commercial breaks. Pete says it's a deal. The two go into the living room, and Pete gets right to business. Tell me about yourself, Mary Jane. How come I've never run into you before? What do you do with yourself when you're not driving helpless males out of their minds? Mary Jane tells Pete he's coming on strong, <laughs> but you gotta know, web shooter, shoot, girl, you gonna fire him thing. She tells Pete he's never seen her around because she's always taking drama lessons. Pete asks if she plans to be an actress. Correction, Clyde, I am an actress. It's just a matter of time till this big, blind, bouncy world discovers that fabulous fact so we know mary jane's not lacking in confidence she breaks into the charleston as a band plays from the tv set telling pete to dance with her pete thinks mj makes everything seem like a party and is probably about to join her dancing but it wouldn't be peter parker if something didn't happen to spoil the fun the band on the screen is replaced by footage of the rhino as a news anchor from off screen says we interrupt boss beat bandstand to bring you a special bulletin the rhino has broken out of prison and is at large within the city all citizens are warned mary jane pissed that her music's been interrupted folds her arms and says they could have waited till the song was finished at least before making fun of the rhino's goofy outfit on four the smile gone from his face pete's thinking the only thing he would in a moment like this i've, gotta go I've, got, to I've got to go after Mary that's spare but how can i get away from mary jane but MJ's not soft still smiling she says it'd be a kick to see the rhino in person when pete asks what she means MJ continues, saying they could hop on his cycle and follow the sounds of sirens, drawing a smile from Pete. Now that's what the kind I of gal front a busy Spider-Man 90s. means. I read you loud and clear, lady. Let's go. MJ bets the rhinos a real swinger before grabbing her jacket as Pete tells Anna and May he's going to take MJ for a spin and compliments Anna's cooking. When the woman reminds him that he barely ate anything so enthralled with Mary Jane he was, Pete replies, And yet, each muffin was a monument to the culinary yard. Go ahead, Pete. Smooth with it. And we see here, MJ apparently only talks at punch lines. She tells Peter he's an utterly mad lad. And the two get moving. Seconds later, they're on Pete's bike, MJ's hands around his waist, calling him pete and she tells him to head towards the east side. But as they zoom along, Pete's thoughts are racing right beside him. I've got to find no, a no, way to switch no, to spying no, without no, Mary Jane no, getting no, lines. And... As Peter passes under the office window of Nelson and Murdoch, attorneys at law. And in the office of Nelson and Murdoch, we see Franklin Foggy Nelson and Matt Daredevil Murdoch and Karen, no relation, Paige. Foggy is pissed. In response to Matt telling him that the rhino escaping isn't his fault, he says that's easy for Matt to say. He wasn't the one up all night working on a writ to free the rhino. He says the Rhino's a bonehead for escaping and wishes Matt was appointed to take the case instead of him. Matt thinks he does too, but doesn't voice it. Instead, he tells Foggy the problem now is making sure Rhino doesn't injure anyone until he's caught. But <laughs> Foggy isn't worried about that. He says Spidey tackled the Rhino once, he'll probably do it again. Matt, gripping his walking stick, thinks, I wish Daredevil could go after him now, but the West deserves first crack at him. The man without fear wants to rumble in the urban jungle. As Foggy shouts, he hates felonies, preferring juicy tax cases any day of the week. Meanwhile, where is the rhino? We were hoping you'd ask. The rhino is who knows where, tossing barrels aside, punching through walls, shouting to no one. There's only one way to bring Spider-Man out into the open. I've got to smash everything in sight. Sooner or later, he'll come after me again. But next time, I'll leave him up a different end. 5 opens to... Don't go away, frantic one. Origin time is coming up. Are we getting an origin... We're getting an origin story. The Rhino, his thoughts on Spider-Man, says if it weren't for Spidey, he'd have captured Colonel Jameson by now. That his plan was foolproof until the web-slinger butted in. But I mean, I think it's a stretch to say his plan was foolproof? He really just lumbered into the man's hotel room, grabbed him up, and ran out? That's not Dr. Doom level, to be sure. This occurred in The Horns of the Rhino, or Run Rhino Run, here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to, in the next panel, the rhino continues saying he's got the power to finish Spidey off, so he will. Power that an unknown, they gave him. He says he was a nobody, a hired hood, a muscle man, doing dirty jobs for professional spies. And his thoughts loom large here. In them, we see two spies in lab coats, so spiantists to be sure, behind a wooden desk. In front of the desk, we see a burly not-yet-rhino in a green suit, dull expression on his face, brown bowl-shaped haircut, and to his credit, he's already got a bulky, muscular build. So before he even donned that suit, the rhino was hitting that gym. The rhino was already clanging and banging. Either way, the spies tell the rhino their allegiance is to the country who pays them the most, and the rhino's allegiance is only to them. They tell the soon-to-be rhino that their associates think he's too stupid to be trusted, but they don't agree. The spy to say the Rhino's, well, for lack of a better word, density is the reason he'll never betray them, that they have an experiment they want to conduct that will make him important and famous. Rhino, giving big scorpion vibes here, tells the men, I don't, I don't care, really care what I, I, do, I do, so long, long as, long as long I get paid. The experiment took lots of injections, treatments, using me as a guinea pig until in the next panel, we see the soon-to-be Rhino strapped to a metal bed, red and yellow light emanating from him, as the spy shot that they're applying their greatest invention to him. <laughs> the invention? A form of molecular adhesive, which will become as much a part of you as a second skinny. In the next panel, we see the Rhino suited and booted in the form we've come to know him in, thick gray suit, a Rhino's head complete with two horns pointing towards the ceiling, wrapping his own big, beefy hands, actual rhino-shaped feet. He's in a room with orange brick walls and he's staring at the scientists, who are more than a little pleased with their handiwork. There, it is done. Our treatments have given you the strength of a rhinoceros and the molecular adhesive covering you wear will give you a protective skin tougher than a rhino's own. You are possibly the strongest man alive, thanks to us. You must obey our every commandment. You'll be the perfect assassin, Princess, obedient, invincible. Why do these people always think that because they gave a person power, they control that power? I let the rhino tell it. But they had made one fatal mistake. My power increased, my intelligence did also. <laughs> so the rhino was perfectly content and just being muscle until they did this experiment and his brain leveled up. He was like, hold on a second. What? Well, I'm going to do all the work and take all the orders. Hmm. I think I need a readjustment of this contract. Started reading the fine print the rhino did and didn't like what he saw in the type. So he wasted no time. In this final panel, he's kicking and punching, knocking walls down, reminding these men that each man is a means unto himself. What's, What's so soon you? you? I'm, I'm not to the of any, of any man. man. Within seconds, I had torn down lava with my bare hands. They stood up with me by. And six opens to our panel Penal. of oh. the week. In it, we see the rhino in all his horn glory, bricks and collapsing building all around him as he punches through a wall, shouting nothing can resist his rhino powered attack. In the background, we find one spy scientist on his knees, the other, his hands up to the heavens, shouting that all their months of labor are ruined. As the guy on his knees shouts that they've got to hide and hope the bruiser forgets about them. That they'd be lucky if they escaped with their lives. Well, luck springs eternal. Because as a fire begins to rage, we see the rhino striding forward in the next panel. Towards his own personal fork in the road. In the path we already know he's taken. I'll use my power to make me rich. I act that no other man can attempt. There are nations who pay a fortune for the things I can offer of them. He goes left. The flashback over, we find the rhino in the middle of the street just shouting his heart out. He's screaming he can't waste any more time. He's screaming the streets are cordoned off that everyone in town knows he's here. He's screaming that Spider-Man should arrive soon unless the hero's too scared to face him again. And of course, he's screaming that Spidey won't make it out alive. And speaking of Spidey, Pete and MJ have just hopped off the Parker mobile and begin making their way towards a massive crowd that's gathered to witness the rematch of the century. No. Score? No. Decade? No. Month? Absolutely. Pete thinks he's got to tell MJ the truth of what he needs to do, or part of it at least, before saying, Stay here with the cycle for a while, Don. I want to try to get some photos of the rhino for the Daily Bugle. Meanwhile, a guy in the foreground, pointing towards the rhino, I bet, shouts that if he were in charge, he'd drop an A-bomb at the rhino from the roof. A guy in a blue pork pie hat, clearly realizing how insane that sounds to deal with one man shouts, could be that's why you're not in charge! Then, a few minutes later. Achoo. Zoom tight. Spidey's high above the scene, suited and booted, a web line gripped in his left hand, his feet clinging to the sheer wall of a white brick building, his thoughts racing. Can't away too long, or Mary Jane may become suspicious. But I really would like to get some pics of the rhino in action. Buying my cycle put a big dent in my wallet, and I can sure use the cash Johnny Joey would pay. If I let you collect it, that is. Well. If he is or he isn't, we finna find out. Because Seven opens to the Rhino stomping through an alleyway beneath our hero, who reaches for his belt, thinking, I just got time to set up my I'm spidey spine for fun and fun games. games, before getting picturey, Setting the camera on automatic with a 10 second interval, and wide angle lens, and automatic zoom, and I'm ready, I'm ready to, go. to go. He webs the camera into position in the gutter between panels before swinging from the wall, still thinking, Swing high, baby. Daddy Daddy can use the bread. bread. And now Now it's time for my curtain call. Falling towards the rhino in the final panel, a long horizontal. Spidey shouts, Hi-hoo, rhino. What's the good word? If you're trying to find a way back to jail, I'll be glad to put you back on the track, hornhead. Rhino, fist clenched, ready for that action. Shouts he knew Spidey would come. We turn the page and we're on. The infinity The infinity page. Page eight. Just in time, to witness Spidey falling fist forward towards the Rhino, screaming. Well, while waiting for you to dream up a snappy rejoinder, I might as well start where we left off last time. Just hold that poem, Sweeney. And we got action. And Spidey's got a double uppercut to the face, sending him crashing to the ground. And Rhino starts talking his smack. He says he knows how to handle the Spider-Man now. That last time, he was beaten by speed and tricks. He rushes towards a dazed Spidey, screaming, now, the last time. Spidey replies, Wanna bet? And leaps from the huh. floor into the final panel where he's grabbed the rhino by the shoulders and slammed the man into the ground head first, screaming that he's got his hit back. He lands on his tiptoes to open page 9, realizing Rhino's not gonna be stopped by a good pummeling. Rhino. Back on his feet, charges Spidey again, shouting it doesn't matter how many times he misses, he only needs to connect once to end Spider-Man. Spidey thinks fast. Grabbing a nearby oil drum, he uses the rhino's momentum against him and traps the man from the waist up in the drum, shouting, I can't understand why everyone wants to end my capricious career. I always thought of myself as the most lovable little hero in town. You are, Spidey, you are. Anyway, here's something to keep you out of drafts if it gets chilly. But that ain't stopping no Rhino. He flexes and a drum splits in half as he screams. Are you kidding? I'm the original Hard Look Harry. They must have broken every mirror in town when I was born. Rhino grabs the two halves of his barrel and tosses them at Spidey, who leaps out of the way and onto the sheer wall of a nearby building, frustrating the villain further, who shouts that if Spidey won't stand and fight, he's gonna make the hero come to him. Spidey thinks he doesn't like how that sounds at all. Before watching the Rhino crash through the alley wall to open page 10, Spidey leaps atop the roof in pursuit, shouting, I think I can guess what he's up to. The street outside is a Hollywood extras paradise. It's jam-packed with rubber innocent bystanders. And that's where the Rhino's heading. And he's not wrong. Reaching the edge of the roof in the next panel, he finds a scene of chaos unfolding. Joe and Tomas letting shots go as the rhino rushes towards them, putting themselves between the people and the danger. As one guy, probably the dude heading for the hills on the cover, shouts, Run! Run! He's coming right at us! Spidey thinking this is the one time he wishes he were wrong, but such is life. And in his? Well, it's time to make like a hero again. And right in the center of the crowd, where the action is, we find... Frederick Foswell's in the crowd staring up in disbelief, hoping Parker's here to get some pics. A step behind Mary Jane, who's still gripping the handlebar of Pete's motorcycle. Her white jacket on, the collar popped. She is stylish in the storm. Every other person in this scene has a look of concern or worry on their faces, except MJ. She's pointing up towards Spidey with a giant smile, shouting that Pete better get back here before he misses all the fun. And that Spidey's the dreamiest. A moment before Spidey leaps from the rooftop, spraying a web line towards a lamppost, shouting, Your guns won't stop him, fellas. Better concentrate on keeping the crowds back. Your friendly neighborhood web-slinger will try to keep Rhino busy. He swings from the lamppost and the gutter between pages and onto page 11 next, where his left hand towards the sky, his body horizontal, above the rhino's head, agility on, best ever. He grabs the man by the horn with his right hand, shouting, Sorry to keep you waiting, playmate, but I wanted to count the house first. Also, I thought I'd give my webbing time to solidify enough to hold you the next time I use it. When the rhino shouts that he doesn't believe he'll be stopped by some skinny strands of webbing, Spidey agrees, and in an impressive show of strength, lifts the man off the floor backwards and landing on his knees, slams the man's head into the ground. I wish you had the courtesy to say, ouch, when I clonk you. Maybe a little too overconfident, Spidey strides forward, his hands and guard open, telling the Rhino to get up because this fight, this lesson he's teaching, he's gonna make sure the Rhino gets his money's worth. Like, I am tired, man. I fought you before. We did this dance before. I'm gonna make sure you know that when you fight me, it's over for you. Confidence aside though, Spidey's wondering what it takes to stop the Rhino. (laughs) Clearly not slamming the man on his face because the Rhino clenches a fist and charges at our hero, slamming his full body weight into the king of swing, knocking Spidey off his feet. Someone in the crowd shouts, Did you see that? Another, He took off like a missile. While the rhino screams that he knew Spidey never expected him to move so fast. So we've seen these spurts and bursts of speed out of the Rhino before. The man's got explosive first step speed. He may be lumbering in slow once he gets going, but that first step is a doozy and Spidey walked right into a battering ram. The Rhino has slammed right into Spidey. At that moment, a heavily laden trailer truck loaded with steel beams, speeds around the corner as the driver, stunned by the unexpected sight before him, leaps from the cab in panic. Did this driver not see the crowd on the street? There are literally almost 200 people on this street. Doesn't matter. He spots the rhino, though, barreling towards his truck and leaps from the wagon shouting that he's got to get away while the rhino, who I'm starting to be convinced is concussed like all the time, shouts, Stay back. Back. Nobody's finishing off Spider-Man but me. The man thinks the driver wanted to kill Spidey. And Spidey, he's on his knees trying to get to his feet and regroup. Can't. Get know, yeah. feel like I, I ran, ran into, into a stone wall. Nah, Spidey, a stone wall ran into you. 12 opens to the rhino smashing into the hood of the truck horn first. And remember, Joe and Tomas are on scene. And Joe, having seen enough, springs into action, racing out into the middle of the street while Tomas shouts, Joe, come back. There's no way you can stop the rhino. But Joe's not trying to stop the rhino. He shouts back that he can't leave Spidey laying out there. The Rhino shouts that this moment shows everyone that he isn't playing around. And now? Now to turn back and charge into that that car for the last time. We get Joe's thoughts as he reaches Spidey in the next panel. He's bearing around again, getting set to charge this way way again. again. I've only a few seconds to yank Spidey right out of his path. path. Fast as he is, it's almost impossible for him to change direction once he gets up speed. He grabs Spidey beneath the armpits and pulls the hero out of the way a moment before the rhino crashes into the truck again, causing the steel beams to come crashing around him, burying him momentarily. Joe, still dragging our hero, says he's going to use this moment to hide Spidey in the crowd. And Spidey is slumped and damn near unconscious. His arms lip at his side, two weeks even lift his head. He manages to mutter, If you hadn't grabbed me, I might have been done for. But So loud and confusing is the din, so thick and blinding is the ensuing smoke that the nearsighted rhino carelessly concludes. And what did the rhino conclude? The nearsighted rhino concluded that Spidey must be dead. So now, realizing he's nearsighted, I just imagine the rhino in his downtime, sitting in an armchair in front of a roaring fire in Russia with a pair of pince-nez glasses on, reading the Master and Margarita by Bulgakov. Any part in particular? I'm glad you asked. Is it me that you are calling a good man? You are mistaken. It is whispered about me in Yershalaim that I am a fierce monster, and that is perfectly correct. Hmm. I think no one understands you, Ratslayer, but the Rhino does. The Rhino does. Back to Rhino, oblivious to Spidey being pulled from the scene, stomps away thinking that Spidey's a dead man, that no one could live through those falling girders and the wreckage is blocking the intersection so he can get away without being followed. And now that Spidey's dead, he's gonna go after Colonel Jameson again. Say what you will about the Rhino, but the man's got focus like a mother- ah! f- 13 opens to Spidey sitting on his bum, rubbing the stars out of his head as Joe asks if he's okay. Spidey says he wouldn't be without Joe's help and rises to his feet. The crowd now behind our hero smiling. He jerks a thumb at himself and gets humble. I'm not too good at the things for saving my life, Ben Bunt. Forget it, mister. We may not be glamour boys, but we do our job. And anyone who doesn't believe that can check with yours truly. Well, I'd better make my report before we need a crying towel. Seconds later. Spidey's scaling a sheer wall in the background, thinking that he's going to be a blue coat booster from now on. While in the foreground, Foswell is literally hanging on to his hat. What a story. Spidey saved by a cop on the beat. John will eat it up. Meanwhile, Spidey's back on the rooftop, walking towards his camera, lost in thought. Good thing I didn't forget my camera for once. The pics may not make me look like Mr. Hero of the Year, but they on a sound. Boy, someone ought to write a book about cops. They're the real heroes. I'm going to need a crying towel to weep at all the copaganda being pushed right now. Before Spidey can gush even more about cops, he notices his camera's about to fall and has to move quickly. He Westwinds swings over to the camera as the webbing holding it in place gives way and the device plummets towards Earth. But before the camera can hit the ground. Spidey sprays out a line of webbing from his right hand at the falling camera. (laughs) does Spidey get the hit? Of course he gets the hit. And back in the alley, camera in hand, Spidey scratching his head like, phew, starts monologuing. One a day, one close call after the other. But this would have been the worst. Little Petey really needs the greenbacks as a bring. He grabs his clothes from the web sack he's left nearby and begins changing in the gutter between panels continuing his speech in the next. But one good thing came out of the whole sordid mess. I think I finally figured out a way to polish off the rhino next time we meet. And everyone's favorite Wenslinger is going to make sure that'll be pretty soon. In the final panel on page, as he begins to make his way back over to Mary Jane, he stops when he spots a piece of the rhino's hide stuck on a stone beneath the hole the rhino punched through the alley wall earlier and with a very interesting bends down to pick it up. 14 opens to Pete reconnecting with Mary Jane, who guesses that he wasn't able to get any photos because she didn't see him on the street while all the action was happening. Pete's like, I got pics. I went to the second story of a building and took the photos from a hallway window. Lying! MJ calls him a clever dad, then says it's time to ride like Claude. Lady, it's okay to just talk plain English once in a while. Pete smiling says, Uh uh. I'll leave you stranded here forever, unless you tell me you're free tomorrow night. This kid has threatened to leave her on the east side of Manhattan as a flirting tactic. Nah, Pete, you gotta do better. Mary Jane says she promised Rock Hudson, but doesn't want the man to take it for granted. But Rock Hudson, I'm sure, would not be interested in Mary Jane Watson. And for a spotlight on the great Rock Hudson, check out this season's 13th episode and Steve Ditko's last, The Tale of the Befuddled Bruiser, the most comic-y comic book of all. Here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to... And so... Pete dropped MJ off at the entrance to her apartment building and rides away. The two with plans to see each other tomorrow night. Boy, wouldn't I like my own apartment? The way Mary Jane has. it. If only I didn't have Aunt Nina consider. consider. If only he'd ask because May isn't considering moving in with Anna Watson for these same reasons. They out here like the friends of distinction. Translation? Going in circles. A short time later, at the Bugle. <laughs> Where at? 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown, limestone building. You can't miss it. Where JJ is all smiles, cigar and mouth, standing behind Foswell, who's got his signature fedora pushed back on his head, just clacking away on his typewriter, a cigarette dangling from his lips. He says the story about the rhino will be ready in no time, That even without pictures, it's a great yarn. Peter Parker arrives on scene, clutching freshly developed photos of his alter egos battle with the rhino. J.G. snatches the photos in the gutter between panels and his face lights up in the next. and we see J.J. the triumphant playing trumpets to himself. Parker, You finally hit the jackpot! Hey! What's this? Spider-Man being saved? By an ordinary cup on the beat? It's beautiful! It proves that web William weasel isn't half as good as he's cracked up to be! You're getting a bonus for this kid! When Pete says that's great, that he can use the money, J.J. shouts... Money? Who's that Money! He picks up the receiver in the gutter between panels, probably calling Betty, and is still triumphing in the next. Floswell! Get him his own cane in the washroom! Put his initials on it! Hello? This is Jameson! Rip about the front page! Reset for more photos! We're printing an extra edition! That done, he tells Betty to call the hospital John's been recovering in in Westchester before telling Pete to pick up his check on the way out. Pete doesn't bother getting into it with JJ over being underpaid. He's thinking about John and the fact that the Rhino is still on the loose. In the next panel, we're in the hospital room where John is laying with his eyes closed as a G-Man in a green suit stands guard with his back to us, the receiver of a phone pressed to his ear. He's talking to JJ, telling the man that John's doing fine and there are no after-effects remaining from the space force he was infected with. But I wouldn't imagine there would be after Spidey shocked the man with 10,000 volts of electricity. That was him. Like father, like astronaut. Here on Me and My Friend Pete. The G-Man goes on to say that John can be back on duty in a week and for J.J. not to worry that he's sure the government is footing the bill on his medical expenses. John Smiling thinks, Good old Jack, he's He's as tight-fisted as ever. ever. He makes makes Jack Benny seem like a a compulsive compulsive spender. Spender. Quoted from Wikipedia. Jack Benny, born Benjamin Kubelski, February 14, 1894 to December 26, 1974, was an American entertainer who evolved from a modest success playing violin on the vaudeville circuit to one of the leading entertainers of the 20th century, with a highly popular comedic career in radio, television, and film. He was known for his comic timing and the ability to cause laughter with a long pause or a single expression, such as his signature exasperated summation, WELL. His radio and television programs, popular from 1932 until his death in 1974, were a major influence on the sitcom genre. Benny portrayed himself as a miser who obliviously played his violin badly and claimed perpetually to be 39 years of age. With an entertainment career spanning more than 60 years, Benny summed up his success in life with a quote, everything good that happened to me happened by accident. I was not filled with ambition nor fired by a drive toward a clear cut goal. I never knew exactly where I was going. The man did the Miles Morales. Translation, figured it out while running back to So John's obviously calling J.J., you can say it, miserable, back in New York. Pete's back on his bike, racing through the city, his thoughts filling up the panel. I don't like it. I still think Colonel Jameson may be in danger. What if the rhino is still after him and everyone's guard is down? I've got to change the Spidey again and pay a little visit. I just hope I'll be in time. Minutes later, at the lab of famous research scientist Dr. Curtis Connors, whom old-time spiderfiles also know as... The Lizard. 15 opens with Spidey leaping through the window of what can officially be called Spider-Man's first friend, Dr. Curtis Kildare Connors. The scientist who transformed into one of Spidey's deadliest enemies after taking a serum in the hopes of regrowing his right arm, he lost in either World War II or the Vietnam War. I thought it was the former, but I'm pretty convinced now that they're talking about the Vietnam War. If you want the full-on story of his transformation and how we gave him his middle name, Kildare, Check out season 1 episode, Florida Man Wins Oscar, Best Male Lead in Purple Pants Plot Pursuing Planetary Power. You should have really given that a shorter title. Shut it, you! Back too! So Spidey comes bounding through the window and without making time for the niceties, tells Connors he's sorry for bothering him, but he needs his help. Connors, busy working on who knows what, beaker in hand, says Spidey saves his life and could never be a bother. He says he's heard what's been going on with the rhino over the radio. Spidey's like, Good. He says he needs a way to stop the rhino, but can't hurt the man because of his thick protective hide. Connor says if he only had a sample, he could do analysis. And Spidey proves he's got eagle eyes because he pulls out a piece of the rhino's hide that cannot be bigger than a grain of salt, saying he's got such a sample. Connor's always ready to get sciencey. Ask what they're waiting for then, that he'll start analyzing it immediately. Spidey helps him set up the lab before heading into the next room to make a phone call. I just remember, I don't want Aunt May worrying about where I am. This is Peter. Don't wait up for me. I have to uh, do some studying at a friend's house. Sure, I'm okay. See you in the morning, Aunt May. Wouldn't have to, have to do this close. if I had my own path. It would be, be better, better for, for both, both of us. us. Minutes later... May's mind put at peace, we find Spidey and Connors in the next panel working. As Connor stares through a microscope, Spidey's pouring a potion from a test tube in his left hand into a Florence flask in his right. Connors tells Spidey he's always amazed that Spidey, despite being a crime fighter, is such a capable lab man. Spidey replies, Science was always my first love, Doc. And if ever there's a slump in Superhero ring, I'll have something to fall back on. After all, I don't know how much future there is in spending your life under a Spider-Man mask. What's wrong, Doc? You're not with it? So, as we often see, Spidey doesn't want to or doesn't think he will be, doing this Spider-Man business as he calls it forever. 60 years later. Either way, Spidey realizes he's been blabbing this whole time. He glances back at Connors, who's wearing a look of concern. So Spidey asks what's wrong. Connors replies flatly that maybe the lizard could defeat the rhino. Way back in our lizard episode, I threw out a theory that Connors loves being the lizard because of the power it brought him. Added firepower aside, Spidey says the idea is too dangerous, that the man was almost stuck as the lizard last time, and he can't let the man risk it again. So the two get back to work. Finally, Spidey, staring through the microscope, realizes Connor has come through for him again. Whatever the two scientists have designed together is complete. When Connor says they've got to experiment with it first, Spidey says there's no time, that if he's too late, a man may die. So he's going to do the Dr. Turk. Translation? Learn by doing. This thing's only test is gonna be in the field. When Connors asks if Spidey realizes the danger in this, Spidey replies in the only way he can. A hand on Connors shoulder, he says, if I ever let danger stop me, your friendly feeling neighborhood Spider-Man would be out of business by now. Connors asks again if Spidey is sure he doesn't want the man to come as the lizard. This time, Spidey reminds the man of his own responsibilities. You have a wife and son, Doc. Why risk it? Besides, you're one of the only friends Spidey has. I can't afford to lose you. He leaps out of the window and onto a sheer wall of the final panel on page, thinking that Connors doesn't even realize it. But when the man was the lizard, he was one of Spidey's deadliest foes. That he doesn't need that headache again. Literally. The lizard was tossing Spidey around, punching him in the head. He dropped a bookshelf on my man. Connors watches Spidey leave and wishes him luck. Spidey tells the doctor to leave a Bunsen burner flaming. In the window 30 minutes later spidey's driven up to westchester in 30 minutes it's comic books let it go and come on so spidey's driven up to westchester he's clinging to the sheer wall of a building opposite john jameson's hospital room thinking he's lucky there wasn't traffic that everything seems quiet but he should stick around just in case and i'm one guy who means it when he says stick around a moment before his spider sense goes off and No wonder. The Rhino smashes through the door of Jameson's hospital wing like balsa wood, catching the G-man in the green suit off guard. He wonders how the Rhino got here before reaching into his jacket for a strap, immediately shouting, Hold it, you fool. Jameson's no use to you. The spores have vanished. He's normal again. But the Rhino's not going to take this man's word for it. He tosses the man aside at the same time, crashing through the door of Jameson's room towards the man's hospital bed, coming face to face with a second guard in the room. This one is ready to go and lets a shot go. Spidey, witnessing this unfold, leaped forward, both arms wide above his head towards the window, shouting, It's him! He got past the guard in the hall, and the one in the room won't be able to stop him. So it's up to my favorite wall crawling wonder again. And if Doc Connors and I goofed on our gizmo, the world may be Spidey-less after tonight. He crashed through the window and onto page 17, causing Jameson to grab the G-Man's arm before the man fires again. Spidey, still airborne, starts barking orders. That gun won't stop him. Get the colonel to safety. I don't hold him on. As the Rhino changes direction at the side of Spidey and tries to take a step towards our hero. But Spidey's come to play. He grabs the Rhino's left arm with his right and slams his open left palm beneath the Rhino's chin. With so much force, the Rhino's head jerks back and the two go flying out out of the front door of the room. The rhino's horn cracks another floor, but shouting that this time he's gonna make sure Spidey's put away, he throws an uppercut from his back that sends Spidey hurtling down the hallway. Both men push up off the floor in the gutter between panels and square up in the next, with the rhino's charging again. But Spidey, having used every trick he knows with the hands team at the villain, goes to Play 2 of the Golden Liability Playbook. Play 2? If fists don't work, there's always the shooters. He lets spirally strands go from both web shooters, wrapping the villain in thin strands. But the Rhino isn't worried. That again? You fool, haven't you heard I can like a scrap of paper? Completely covered in the webbing, he begins doing just that to get free in the final panel, shouting that Spidey's strength and greatest weapon are useless. As Spidey, back against the wall, thinks, Doc Connor and I were counting on that weapon. It contains our special gizmo. 18 opens to the rhino shouting that he's going to butt our hero through the wall like a battering ram before rushing forward. But you know Play 4 of the playbook. Matter of fact, just take the playbook out and sit here for a moment. We'll be using it again. And Play 4, back against the wall, Spidey's going to leap. And he does, up towards the ceiling so fast, the rhino has to ask where our hero went. Before the rhino's momentum sends him crashing easily through the sheer wall of the building toward the grounds below. You know Spidey's talking his smack. Tell me something, brick brain. Wouldn't it have been easier just to open the door? Rhino, oh, this on man, one knee, Brit having brain. just fallen two stories, shouts that Spidey can't dodge forever, and he'll get him. No matter what it takes, he'll get him before daring Spidey to come down and fight. You know Spidey ain't soft. He scales the sheer wall in the gutter between panels and delivers a wicked overhanded fist to the rhino's chest that forces the villain onto his tiptoes. Oh, my hand. Another one up like that and it's bye-bye knuckles. This kid is hurting himself, trying to hurt the rhino. And rhino knows it. He laughs at the great Spider-Man, saying that once he's in budding distance, he's gonna squash the man like a bug. But Rhino's broken the cardinal rule of me and my friend P, Namely, don't talk don't crap talk until crap you win. Because it's Spidey's turn to talk. so, alrighty, take a look at your high first. Anything happening to it? And something is, the Rhino, still covering his Spidey's net-like webbing, surrounded in a fiery red, orange, and pink background, says he feels warm. That his thick hide is starting to burn and realizes it's Spidey's webbing. Because this ain't your average webbing. It's eating through the rhino's suit and the process ain't slow either. In the gutter between panels, the rhino's horn head wrap has completely fallen away and the thick protective gray of his gloves. He stands staring at his hands in shock, shouting that everything's melting off him as Spidey, fist clenched, ready for what has to come next, screams I had a hunch you were wearing an artificial covering. The only problem was finding a way to melt it off, and it looks like we found it. And what comes next? Spidey, leaping towards the rhino, left fist first to open page 19, quipping. Boy, no wonder you covered your head the way you did. I don't know who you are, but one thing's for sure, a beauty contest winner you ain't. The rhino, so the protective skin gone from, from like his chest and arms two shouts. Wait, stop, don't, stay back, you, you wouldn't hit me now. This man has been talking about he's going to butt Spidey here. He's going to kill Spidey there. He's going to leave the man. He tried to crush this man with a truck, and now he want to talk. Talking about, you, you wouldn't hit me now. But of course, Spidey would. Sure I would. You don't want me to grow frustrated, do you? Told you. He snaps the rhino's head back with a right cross hitting the man's jaw north. The last position you want to be in in a fight. And this fight is over. Of course, a squad car pulls around the corner a moment later. It's sirens blaring before three men hop out into the next panel. One is JJ who races forward towards the hospital screaming, where's his son? Spidey, hopping onto the sheer wall of the building, shouts down at JJ that John's fine. And last one there is a rotten egg. As two G-men look over the unconscious rhino, sleep, sleep realizing they won't have trouble locking the man up anymore. In the hospital room, a G-Man has just told JJ that he should be grateful to Spider-Man for saving John's life. But JJ, the triumphant, is gone. He starts tirading. He starts tirading! His fist shaking towards the ceiling. Balderdash, I'll sue that thing for using my boy as a decoy to trap the rhino. That creepy costume crumb can't fool Jonah Jameson. I'll see him behind bars. Yeah! In the privacy of the room, John throws Spidey the AOK hand symbol and whispers a thank you. Spidey salutes him, tells the man no sweat, and gets ghost. Department of Confusion, we got so wrapped up in this yarn that we counted the pages wrong. We thought this would be the end, but now we see we've another page to go. So stay with us, Frantic One. We'll think of something. Pete, back in his SJB blue suit, is on his motorcycle racing back towards the city, wondering aloud how John can possibly be Jonah's son because the two are so different that this proves that even fate has a sense of humor. But I think this shows that despite his gruffness and general miserable demeanor, Jonah's a pretty decent father, who knows? Later, at a red light, Pete sees. ESU's IT crowd and Harry's white drop top convertible. That's Flash, fashion on trash, Thompson, That's Gwen, the heartthrob Stacy. that's Harry, waves on Swim Osborne. They say they've all gone out to discuss the big news. The big news? Flash has been drafted. He's going off to Vietnam. Harry asks Pete if he got his notice, but Pete says he hasn't. And Gwen points out that Pete is on academic scholarship and at the top of his class, so he most likely won't be drafted. Flash asks if anyone can imagine Pete in the army. It'd be like Captain America on steroids. Wasn't Captain America created by drugs? Well, more steroids then. Pete calls Flash a loudmouth, but wishes him luck no matter what happens. More serious, serious business. And according to builddowncbs.com, about 25% of all draftees were killed or wounded who served in Vietnam. So Flash is going off to real danger with a smile on his face. I think that says a lot about who he is as a person And either way, he tells Pete he's all hard. But when Harry suggests the two let their beef die, Flash won't hear of it. Harry actually says bury the hatchet, but that's an offensive term. Because according to RadicalEditor.com, quote, This expression is drawn from the centuries-old tradition among some indigenous peoples of North America, including most famously the Iroquois, to literally bury the tools of war as a symbol of peace. According to an article at History Revealed, It wasn't long before the settlers latched onto the phrase and used bury the hatchet as a figurative call for peace, which renders the expression particularly galling given the actual violent actions of the colonizers toward those who practice this tradition. So, the more you know. Back to Pete, staring over his shoulder at Flash grinning in Gwen's silence, doesn't bother to respond to Flash's jabs. It's a good thing I'm not holding my breath waiting for Gwen to put in a good word for me. I bet Mary Jane wouldn't just sit back and let Flash put me down, although, I guess i have never it give everyone much reason to care, one way or, one way or another. another. With a final insult from Flash, Pete spins off. But, reaching home, Peter finds a new problem to concern him. Pete enters the house to find Aunt May rubbing her neck. He says she looks pale and listless, and we get some great coloring here because she is ashen. May replies that she doesn't know what's wrong, but she's felt weak all evening. She tells Pete not to worry that maybe it'll pass. Pete, of course, shouts that he's going to get her medicine. And races to the bathroom popping open the medicine cabinet he grabs the medicine bottle there only to find oh no nothing here but the old empty bottle no wonder she feels weak she never refilled the prescription it could only have been because she didn't have the money his head lowered he slams his fist into the wall of the bathroom in the next panel continuing you're a great guy parker worrying about getting your own apartment buying a new cycle thinking only of number one the woman who's devoted her life to you does without her medicine because she can't afford a new bottle. Peter Parker, boy hero. Yeah, isn't that a king-size joke? Later. We see Pete on the phone with Mary Jane, telling her he can't make it tomorrow night. They will not be hanging out. But MJ is not bothered at all. She tells Pete she'll keep a stiff upper lip until the next time he calls, making Pete think she could care less. What does he want her to do? They just met. This guy has not wanted to meet her for months on end. And now he's breaking a date. You think Mary Jane Watson, the incomparable Mary Jane Watson, is going to sit around waiting for you? (laughs) You're mad, lad. (laughs) You're mad. Pete hangs up and goes straight into brooding mode, staring out of the window of his bedroom at the evening sky. His shoulders hunched, his thoughts sad and somber, to close the issue. What's wrong with me? I've defeated some of the most powerful supervillains of all time. Without batting an eye. Why do I have such trouble? Just managing my own life. Why indeed, Spidey. Why indeed. Because drama! The final caption boxes tell us. Next, the lizard crawls again. And we're out! A lot to love in this issue. First, Romita brought his A-game with the art as usual. The fight scenes were great. I love the way Spidey was throwing a lot more forceful blows, knowing the rhino could take it, and trying to put the villain down as quickly as possible. He was smashing this dude's face into walls, into the ground. He was not trying to have this fight be drawn out. And the writing gave us a lot. May is ill again. Flash is going off to fight in the unjust war that Vietnam is fast becoming at this time. We got our first full issue with MJ as a cast member, and she's definitely giving off party girl vibes, go-go girl vibes, all the 60s slang, and devil may care attitude. I gotta admit those catchphrases are probably going to drive me up a wall. And we've got the return of Dr. Curtis Kildare Connors, who I love as a supporting character because he's always got time to help Spidey out. And whenever he pops up, we know the lizard will be sure to follow soon enough another great issue that's the main episode this week and that's true that's the main episode but there is more me and my friend pete available for your listening pleasure right now if you sign up to patreon.com hspp in the keykeeper or high council tiers patrons have a vault filled with bonus episodes covering comic book stories from all over the multiverse of comic book universes Next bonus episode, we cover The Flash Rebirth number six, and after our Flash in the Furious Way Here section, so large it needed its own bonus episode, we're finally diving into the finale of the return of Barry Allen. Join us to see how it ends and begins. And if you become a patron before ASM number 50, you receive a thank you gift from me and my friend Pete for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You won't regret it. You got questions? Send them to me and my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MMFP underscore podcast. The panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. Thank you so much to all our patrons. We couldn't do it without you, and we wouldn't want to if we could. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please, please take care, podcast please like think of the world and be true to yourself. That dusty trails are calling so there's no use stalling, and you know the tagline for the people. With great power, baby, you gotta make sure you're being responsible. I'm outta here.